Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store. I'm Rebecca Roberts. Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes, the PR, comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Harriet. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm excited about today's episode because also our guest is like, he was on my dream list and when we asked him, he said yes immediately. Being the internal comms geek that I am, I um, saw a video by the new chief exec of Lloyd's Banking Group, Charlie Nunn. And it was so, I don't know, it, it just, I even want to go and work for him. He needs to employ me to do his internal comms because the video and him just came across so authentic, so human, so nice. I know it was staged because he went on a little run. But he just came across so well. He was talking about himself. He was introducing himself to the company. He talked about his family. And then he talked about just really quickly, like his career, how he got into banking and then what he sees for financial services. And I think he just summed it up so well in such a short space of time. And I know people write scripts for these people. I am one of them. I write speeches and scripts for leaders, but he just came across so well. It was really refreshing. I think it made me think about that whole, you know, past 18 months, almost two years now, we've had to, I think for leaders, they've had to kind of be a bit more real. They've had to be in their living room or their office, kids in the background, cats walking across the laptops, being on mute and being corrected by teams and all that kind of stuff. And almost exposing themselves in more fully in a work sense. And it kind of chimed with the stuff that Janelle Aldred, when she was, came on and talked to us about, like, as a leader, thinking about, from a common perspective here, like, what kind of leader do you want to be? And then kind of working out how you kind of appear on comms, different channels and engage with staff. Because you can have the most charming leader who is just great with people. And then you put a camera in front of them and it's like, it kind of shuts down and they are a totally different person and I think that's a really interesting space now for comms to almost take advantage of the past horrendous weird year that we've had and use it as an opportunity like people have seen this different side of you how do we build that into how you come across as a leader yeah I mean I do a lot of leadership visibility stuff being in internal comms and even when I used to do external comms like when you have to get people out to do PR and radio shows and TV and all the rest of it and I find it quite interesting like I think for me, part of the problem is sometimes it depends on where you start from. So sometimes you have leaders who start from a really bad place where something's gone horribly wrong or they've got a legacy issue and then they need to sort of change their image. And I've always found that part of the problem with that is the lack of consistency. Like this thing of where you say to people, you start communicating maybe one month, the second month you're great and then the third month you start to drop off and then there's no consistency. For me, I always say to people is you rather give them something short half an hour one hour a month be consistent with it so they know that they can trust you they know you're going to show up and build that trust because I think the hardest thing is especially even in these times of the the pandemic but even before is if you start doing something and then you don't follow through people lose faith and they lose trust especially if you've had some issues in the past or there's been some damage there you've almost got to rebuild and as soon as you start rebuilding and then you stop 
the foundation isn't properly laid and then you don't get very far and I think I've noticed that problem with some leaders but I think it's also you know those leaders who you'll be in a room and you'll have a meeting with them or you'll have a coffee or even a virtual one and then you'll see them in the street or you'll see them on another meeting and then they act as if they don't know who you are and I've encountered those and I just think to myself so if you can't be bothered to remember my name and yet we are in probably two or three meetings maybe a week or I send you emails to do stuff you still act as if you don't know me how do you think people are going to trust you or think of you as being authentic and it's like you don't even bother to like learn who someone is or or, or remember their name and those little things matter to people and people pick up on them 100% I've worked with a couple of leaders one who was just like amazing with people just always remember the name stories anecdotes and I think well yeah, I don't, I don't want to say because it like totally give away. And then I worked with another who wasn't directly in the same organisation. And this person had kind of assumed, not remembered me. And it was really awkward because they said, oh, you're one of the Sky Sports women, aren't you? Because we were doing a presser. And I said, no. And they said, oh, where do you work? And I said, where it was. And they said, well, not in this office. And I went, yeah. And they went, what do you sit with the rest of the team? And I went, yeah, my God, no. I'd been there for like four years at this point. And it was so funny because this person had like been into the offices several times. And like the leader who was particularly charming just went, just take it as a compliment. And I went, yeah, no, it's fine. It's just, it's quite funny because they kind of just totally thought I was someone else. But I think those, those people skills are really important. Just going back to that, the advert that obviously we'll link in the show notes was that I think what was particularly nice is that they showed that side of vulnerability. And obviously it was a bit staged, like Charlie, you're a mute and, and they kind of laugh, but they talked about their career and family and life in general in a really accessible way it wasn't this kind of I've done all these things I'm so successful like clearly he's had a very great career and knows his stuff but he he got that across in a way that was just you want to work for them they clearly know their stuff but it was charming like we all work a bit hard so like what I really love doing is spending time with my family I also really like but it wasn't like we're perfect it's like I really like doing sport as well I find that really helpful for myself I think that kind of just stuff just made someone seem real like he's there in his kit doing some training like not all leaders would go yeah yeah you can film that that's fine it's like you're starting to see the whole person I think if you can bring that authentic kind of more of yourself to work not necessarily all of it you don't need to be best mates of everyone you're working with but I think it's just about being a bit more human and I think people need that now more than ever yeah like I get it I, sometimes I'll joke with, with certain leaders in my organization who like there's one who I connected with she has a peloton bike I have a peloton bike so we talk about that sometimes so you connect on different things but I do also struggle with people who don't know their audience so if you're, say, for example, you're a leader, whether that's internal or external, and you're facing audience, and then, for example, you've been to the south of France or you've been on a glamorous holiday during a pandemic, don't put that in the comms. Don't put that out as a sort of, you know, depending on what kind of organisation you lead. I mean, if you're if you're the chief exec of, like, a fancy brand and everyone's being paid high, good money, fine, you know, share those glamorous things, but also know your audience. If you're a CEO of a company that's going through a restructure because there's not enough money in the organisation and you're there sharing, you know, just come back from the south of France or we've been to the Bahamas or St. Bart's, you know, that may not go down so well. So sometimes know your audience and not saying, you know, policing people's privilege, but it can leave a sour taste in people's mouths. And then I just think sometimes as well is, I think some leaders get to a point where they 
are so far removed from the consumer or they're so far removed from the actual staff who do the work. And that's why sometimes I think it's really important, even as we transition back to the office, if you are one of those leaders who works, say, in an organisation that has so many sites or you have staff who are like on the front line, so construction workers, transport workers, you know, nurses, doctors, all those kind of roles, it's really important that you try and spend time with them and actually see what they go through day to day. I remember but one of our chief exec that I worked with once because he's so far removed he's sitting in his office it's warm and then he did a town hall and people came down all in their coats like freezing cold and he was like why are you in your coats because the heat is not on and he was like I had no idea yeah because you're sitting in your office where there's heating oh yeah so try and get closer to the people that's what I'm saying So on this episode, we're joined by Charles Day. Charles Day is an advisor and coach for leaders of some of the world's most innovative and creative companies. He's the host of the top podcast, Fearless, The Art of Creative Leadership, where he speaks to leaders across the creative industries. His clients include Spotify, FCB, Hearst Publications, Wine & Kennedy, the BBC and Tommy Hilfiger. Charles speaks regularly on creative leadership and writes for Fast Company. He served as an adjacent professor at New York's Columbia University, teaching the art and science of building companies that unlocked profitable creativity and coached at the Harvard Business School in the executive education program. Welcome to the podcast, Charles. Thank you for having me. So I have to give you credit for opening my eyes up to creative leadership. And I've sort of discovered you in 2019 when I'd just taken on a a management role at Sky. And I think really listening to you helped me to distinguish the difference between management of creativity and leadership. And I sort of think about it in a way and management is managing the tools and the process, whereas leadership is sort of helping people to grow and fostering that sort of environment. And I guess over the last 18 months, we've seen leaders really try that. But then there are also people who are just completely burnt out. They're stuck. They've sort of run out of ideas. What would you say to them? What advice would you give them? Well, I think obviously it depends on the circumstance, but there's a couple of different things that are going on, I think, at the moment. One is that as we begin to emerge from the pandemic, or we kind of start to define it on different terms, I think people are suddenly realizing how much that they have gone through, and they've realized how much it has taken out of them. And so there is this kind of mindset that I'm seeing where people realize I've survived this, you know, it probably isn't going to kill me now. And the relief of that has kind of created a a wave of people who are just suddenly hit the wall, and they're exhausted. They're emotionally traumatized, I think they're physically just worn out. And they keep trying to kind of work their way through it, because that's what they've done for the last 18 months. And part of what I'm seeing and some of what I'm advising clients to do is you have to treat yourself as though you actually caught COVID. Maybe the virus didn't get you, but I think you have to see yourself as having been a victim of COVID. And you need to treat yourself as though you are recuperating from something that was pretty serious. So whether you think you had surgery or some really tough long-term illness, I think you have to really treat yourself with a kind of kindness and care. And in many cases, it sounds simplistic, but taking a real break, not kind of a pretend leadership break where you go away, but you're still in contact, you're not really just disengaging. And as you know, it's very hard for real leaders to do that, to really disengage. They feel such a sense of responsibility. But I think getting away, really shutting it all off is so important at this point. And you have to treat yourself with sympathy and empathy. And if you don't, I think, you know, there just isn't enough fuel left in the tank to think you can just keep working your way through 
this through sheer force of will. And there's a quote from your podcast, which I found really interesting, uh, which is, if the action I take satisfies your need in this moment, that's management. If I give you the ability to solve the problem and the problems that come from that problem, that's leadership. Can you give us some examples where you've seen that play out? Yeah, I, I mean, there are so many examples, actually, that is hard to identify an individual one. I, I think if you look at your own life, you'll recognize the difference between the people that you've been around and the people that you've worked for that have lifted you up and helped you see yourself and what was possible in a different way, and the people who either just told you what to do or kind of did it for you. And I think you know, leaders are the people who really empower us. They show us new possibilities. They lift our sights. You know, I, I, I look at someone like uh, Mindy Grossman, who runs WW, formerly Weight Watchers. You know, Mindy's not going to come in and say to you, this is what you need to do, but she will reimagine the possibilities and help you see the possibilities. You know, I think someone like Susan Cradle at FCB, who were just named Agency of the Year. You know, I think raising the possibility of what that agency could be when she joined it with Carter Murray, the two of them have been phenomenal leaders, the definition of leaders, where they took an agency that, that really didn't matter much to anybody at all and completely reimagined it. And they didn't do the work themselves. They created environments where people could come in and do the best work of their lives. Wyden and Kennedy talk about coming here and doing the best work of your lives. You know, and I think that those kinds of environments are run by people who are first and foremost leaders. They awaken a sense of possibility in us. In my own life, I work for a man, I used to be on the production side at an agency many, several lifetimes ago. And I worked for a man called Grant Hill. And Grant's genius was he would give you the ability to completely screw it up, completely screw it up. And when you were about to drown, he would just step in and give you enough support to help you get to the next place. He would never make you wrong. He would never tell you you should have done it differently. He would just give you that support in that moment and you would learn the lessons much more meaningfully, I think, as a result of that. And you gained confidence as a result of that. And you knew that he would always be there. So when I started my own business, I tried to bring a lot of that kind of mindset to it. And as I say, that's what I encourage in the people that I work with is, are you showing other people what's possible? Or are you telling them how to do it? It's a really good point. I think those managers who are always incredibly busy and sort of micromanaging, they can't ever take a step back because it'll all fall apart if I'm not there. Whereas a leader would be like, well, I've equipped them to be excellent. So you've called season three of Fearless Leading the future. How do leaders lead when none of us have ever been here before? So what have you learned during this discovery that has surprised you? You know, I think maybe not surprised as much, but maybe reinforced a couple of beliefs that I had, but I didn't have a ton of evidence to support. So I think one of them is the importance of being vulnerable. It's extraordinary, I think, how often if we look back over the last 18, 20 months and see the companies that have really survived and, and not just survived, but thrived. And you look at the leaders of those companies and you realize these people have really been vulnerable. I mean, they have not tried to put on airs and graces. They haven't tried to pretend that they were fine. They haven't tried to present themselves as being totally in charge. They haven't tried to present themselves as knowing all the answers. They've been really vulnerable about it. And I think that's given people permission to come in, join them in the journey. I think it's given people confidence to recognize they don't have to have all the answers. They don't have to be perfect as well. And it's created an intimacy. And I think a confidence in those companies that has been, as I say, really, really obvious, I think, in the companies that have been most successful. That's really been a foundation of what I've recognized over the last 18, 20 months. I think the other part that's really been important and has been consistent is it's been really important to have a clarity of vision. I mean, everybody says that that's true anyway. It's always amazing to me how many times I walk into a company and realize they don't actually have a clear definition of what they're trying to achieve. You know, they've figured out how to make money, they figured out what they're trying to sell, and so they've gotten pretty good at that articulating why they, somebody should buy their product or their services. But in terms of what are we trying to build here, 
what's the legacy we want to leave behind? Very few leaders actually really get into that. And I think the best ones always do. And I think in a microcosm of that, the last 18, 20 months, again, the leaders who've been most successful and the companies that have been most successful have been very clear about what a success looks like, right? What are we trying to create here? Even if we don't know what the long-term future looks like anymore, how do we get to the end of the quarter or the end of the year or the end of whatever the next period is? And they've been able to galvanize people around that sense of mission and purpose. There's a film production company called Chelsea pictures who just won the palm d'or award at the Cannes festival of creativity and i just talked to lisa mailing who's their owner and founder and the way that she and her leadership team guided that company through the pandemic starting with you know several weeks at the beginning of it when there was literally no business for them they had nothing there was no production nothing was being made they didn't know if they were going to survive or not and so she broke it down she said i know i can get us to 90 days i know i can afford to get us to 90 days what will we use those 90 days for and she decided to teach the company everything that everybody knew so she put together she and her team put together twice daily sessions zoom sessions where they basically created a masterclass in what it meant to run a production company and they would have everybody from the cfo come in and talking about you know the, this is what payables means these are payment terms this is the difference this is how it impacts this is how it impacts our clients. She had all of the reps come in and talk about how do you present work. She had every director on the roster come in and talk about their journey and what motivates them. So, you know, I think you see people who who have created that kind of sense of purpose and mission. So she kept the company together and then work started to come back and show up in different ways. And they were really able to respond to that in a more dynamic way than they had been able to before. And so she said, you know, we learned so much about each other. We learned about the industry. We learned about ourselves. And she said, this is now the strongest team that we've ever had here. And I think no surprise that they were recognized as the best film production company in the year coming out of that. And I guess, you know, you speak to so many leaders and, and during the pandemic, we've seen so many people decide to set up their own agencies or go freelance. But some of these people have never, ever led before, before they choose to sort of start their own thing or disrupt a specific part of the creative industries. What advice would you give somebody if they were sort of in that position? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there are two. One of them, I think, just goes back to one of the points we were just talking about, which is you have to have a mission. You have to have a sense of purpose. There has to be a reason that you're trying to do this other than, you know, oh, wouldn't this be cool? Or I think I can. You have to, I think, decide what would success look like five years from now, three years from now, it doesn't really matter which, but what do I want people to be saying about this? business. And I think that gives you a focus to understand are the decisions we're making taking us closer towards that or further away from that. You don't have to keep the same vision. I'm not saying you have to live with it forever. You can evolve it, but there has to be a clear sense of destination. I think building a business is very much like taking a journey. If you imagine getting in a car, somebody says, okay, let's go. Isn't this a great car? Great car. Where do you want to go? I don't know, right? So you get to the end of the driveway, do you go left or right? Well, the weather looks bad, right? So let's go left. There's no context around any of those decisions. And so I think having a mission, having a vision, having a sense of this is what we're trying to create, creates that sense of destination, right? It it creates context. So I think context is hugely important. What are we trying to do and why? And then I think the other core proposition that companies struggle with is you have to engender trust, particularly in a business that is dependent upon unlocking creative thinking and innovation. Trust is fundamental to that. If you don't trust the place that you work or the people you work with or for, you will not lean in emotionally. And if you don't lean in emotionally, you will not take risks in terms of your thinking. If you don't do that, then creativity and innovation are dead on arrival. So I think the ability to engender trust and the way you engender trust is you're clear about 
what you expect. You're clear about the behaviors that are important to that business. You hold people, including yourself, accountable to them. And that gives people confidence that there are actually rules and regulations and parameters and standards and expectations that I understand. And they are ones that I share. And they are ones that I want to lean into. And they are ones that I want to support. And as soon as companies say one thing and do another, that's when that trust starts to erode. You know, and I'm sure we've all worked in companies where that's true, where they've got a beautifully written set of values on the website or on the wall. And you can literally stand in the room and point to five people who you know have just completely defiled those values within the last 20 minutes. And no one's going to do anything about them because they're big revenue generators or they're too important or they own a client relationship. Great. But none of that engenders trust. So I think those two things, what are you trying to build and why? And how do you want people to behave? And are you willing to hold yourself and everybody else accountable to it? And so this, I want to talk about the return to this sort of office. And I put that in air quotes and, and not in the binary sense of should we or shouldn't we go back because that's a whole nother discussion. But more in the sense of why is it important for us as creatives or people who do um, work around communications and PR and marketing to be together because over the last two years coming up to two years quite soon we would have proved that we can create whether we're in the same room or not so why is it important that we come back together and be together in the office yeah creativity is essential and innovation they're essentially a battle against the status quo I wrote an article a while ago for Fast Company, which I called the four weapons of exceptional creative leaders. And somebody wrote in the comments, you know, what a ridiculous title. You know, we're talking about creativity, this beautiful thing. And you, know, you don't need weapons. You know, it's too violent. And I thought to myself, you have never fought the status quo. The status quo is a fearsome enemy. You know, and I think it takes confidence and courage to fight that. And sometimes you can do that by yourself breaking down the expectations, looking and seeing what's possible in a way that nobody had ever thought about before. You know, I think that's fine. Sometimes you can do that alone. But a lot of times it's easy to do that in the companionship and with the support of other people. And so I think that the kind of the collective energy and sense of possibility around what might we be able to do here sometimes just gives each of us confidence. And I think if you get the right kind of group, and it goes back to that feeling of trust, if you're in a group that you trust, and somebody throws this nascent idea out on the table, and somebody else doesn't crush it, but they pick up and say, and instead of but. That kind of momentum just builds on itself. You know, and I think one of the most successful agencies over the last 10 or 12, 15 years has been 72 and Sunny. And 72 had a, I think, still have a policy where if you're in a room and talking about an idea, nobody owns the idea. The room owns the idea. And so it's everyone's responsibility to collectively take it and nurture it and see what it might become. And so nobody feels protective of it. Nobody feels that you're attacking it. They can literally work on the essence of the idea. And that happens, I think, really well, uh, you know, really dynamically, I should say, in a group setting. There's clearly evidence that working by yourself can create clarity of thought. And sometimes people find it easier because they're not worried about what is people going to think about me if I say this. And so they'll go there. I think COVID has been helpful, actually, from that standpoint, that we've actually seen working by yourself. I, I've had some people who run a very creative business to say to me that we are definitely going to build in periods for people to work by themselves at home because we've seen clarity of thought come out of that and really good original thinking. But I think the predominant amount of time being spent will be spent with people being in the same room together, having that kind of ideations, energy, support each other. In 2020, leaders were thrust into the spotlight on issues of racial inequality. Now more than ever, the lens is firmly on creative industry and there's no sort of turning back. What advice do you have for leaders who are struggling to have those conversations or finding it hard to sit in the uncomfortableness of it? Yeah, I think most leaders think that leading means talking. And I think it means having the answers. And I think 
I'm a white male. I'm as privileged as it gets. I have no idea, Harriet, what you've experienced in your life, for instance. I interviewed a, a guy called Ian Davis on the podcast last year because he'd posted something on LinkedIn about experiences that he'd had a decade earlier working at an agency and had what he described as microaggressions. And I thought, A, this story needs to be more widely understood. And B, I need to understand it. You know, And I said to him, I know the answer to this question at a superficial level. I don't understand it in any way on a detailed level. Tell me all the ways in which your day is different than mine, right? And he said, we don't have time because I will get up and go wherever I want. And I'm not going to worry about other police looking at me. I'm not going to worry about if I go that way or that way, my, my, my life be in danger. You know, I know somebody a couple of years ago I was talking to was saying, I have to leave the office by five o'clock because if I leave after it gets dark, I'm really scared about what might happen to me. They were black. And I thought that's never once occurred to me. It's never once occurred to me. So we don't know. So I think listening like we've never listened before, asking questions like we've never asked questions before, accepting the fact people are not looking at the moment for you to have all the answers. They're looking for you to understand so that you can come up with, help them come up with better answers. I think it's really important that we not try and build environments in which we've got some sort of you know, predetermined ratio, that we are actually creating environments that are truly not just accepting, but supportive of every kind of difference that we might exhibit, whatever those differences are. Having that not simply be a talking point, but having it be based on real behavior. You know, I think we have to change the supply chain, right? The supply chain, especially in the creative industries, is fundamentally designed to provide candidates who are mostly white. And it's getting a little bit better now, but still predominantly men. So I think if we don't change some of the fundamental infrastructure, we're destined to just keep repeating these same mistakes. And then I think we have to understand that there's a difference between intellectual understanding and having true empathy. And if we don't really get to the point of empathy, real empathy, then we're not going to make real changes that are really going to matter. So I specialize mostly in internal communications and I'm getting a new set of leaders, as it were, because of transitions or retirement and that kind of thing. And, you know, when you lose leaders you, that you've, you've built a reputation with, that they, they have that trust, they just know you're going to do things. And I'm just thinking about what would you say to me and how I build that reputation, get their trust, position myself again as that trusted advisor to the new leaders that I'm sort of going to get? Yeah, it's a great question. I, what I have recognised, I think, and probably been able to articulate recently in a way that I hadn't before, is I think leadership sits at the intersection of strategy and humanity. You are constantly in moments of tension between those two. So the business obviously is fundamental. We are leading a thing that needs to be successful, however success is defined for that company. And so the strategic elements of leadership are really important. And if you don't bring the personal side of it to bear to on that, then this isn't going to sustain. It's not, it's not going to work. But equally, and sometimes more so, you have to be conscious of the human dynamic. Not just conscious of it, you have to really understand it and care about it. So my work always involves really getting to know somebody and their entire journey. Where were they born? What was that environment like? You know, what was their family life like? One of the questions I always ask in my podcast is when did creativity first show up in their life? Because it helps me understand the context of that. So I think being willing to deal with both of those dynamics and being able to place them in appropriate tension with each other is really important. And I think above all else, you have to be willing to speak truth to power, but with empathy. You know, I see so many people who are not prepared to really tell the person they're working with what they need to hear. 
because they're afraid that their relationship with that person will be jeopardized. You know, I've had some really uncomfortable conversations with people about really sensitive issues that I thought they just weren't conscious of. And I've always, always, always tried to do it with empathy. I've never tried to do it judgmentally. I've always tried to do it in a way that I hope helped them to understand that my only agenda was their best interest. But that doesn't always turn out to be the case. People don't always recognize that you're trying to help them. And they can take it personally, even I think with the most skilled and experienced advisor. But I think that has to be the the kind of the reference point that we bring to this kind of work is, am I prepared to tell you what I think you need to know with as much empathy as I can find? Something that we find um, incredibly fascinating about your podcast is the range of guests you get on. How do you choose who you interview? Well, the first reference point, the first filter is, are they running a business? I get a lot of people who are not, who want to sell a book, uh, basically. But I think, are you running a business? Is, you know, have you actually practically have an experience of leading? Are you actually a leader or have you been a leader? Because I wanted to build the podcast. I want to develop the podcast as teaching opportunities. And my sole agenda is, can other people learn from exceptional, extraordinary leaders about how they can become better leaders? Can we elevate the creative industries as a whole through leadership? And one of the things that I've recognized in my own work, you know, I used to do a lot of consulting, but what I found is that working with leaders, you have much greater impact on the, their ability to influence the entire organization. So the challenges of leadership, I think, are best felt by people who are either leading or who have led. So that's my first filter. If they haven't led, then I'm looking for people who have particular insight in how to unlock creative thinking, innovative thinking in other people, either at scale or one-on-one, people who have studied that people who have thought about it, people who have done it in themselves, I find really interesting as well. And so, and at the end of the day, am I drawn to them? Do I find them interesting? Because I'm going to be talking to them for up to an hour. And if I'm not finding this interesting, then the chances are that my audience is not going to have any interest in this whatsoever. So at the end of the day, I, I use myself as a filter. You know, if my instinct is, oh, that could be really interesting, then I'll go there. You know, and, and I try very hard. I get a lot of incoming requests, a lot of incoming requests, but I, and I try very hard to be open-minded to them to see, is there something here that might add to it? But most of the time, I'm typically going and knocking on people's doors and saying, I think you could really add to this conversation. And I've been very fortunate. I think there have been virtually no cases of people at the end of the day saying, no, I don't want to do that. And I I guess the thing for me is what has hosting the podcast taught you? It's such a good question. I think at the end of the day, I'm a big believer that leaders and the organizations they run do best when they find their own voice. And that's hard. And I think it's been particularly hard for women and people who are minorities to do that. The system has taught them they're not supposed to have a voice. They're not allowed to say those things. They're not allowed to express themselves that way. Yeah, but again, as a white male, I would say that for a lot of time, I had a, I had a hard time finding my own voice and feeling like I had the confidence to actually say things that I felt. So I think it has helped me to find my voice. And I think it has reinforced for me the importance of helping other people to find theirs. And the power, you know, I think think for good that comes when you do that with you know with an open heart and with a positive intent and as i said i've wanted this podcast to provide teaching moments and the feedback i get is just extraordinarily rewarding people saying to me you know these conversations were so instrumental to us getting through the pandemic we learned so much from these people and the way you question them is so helpful to us and so it's given me confidence to lean in even further in terms of kind of questions I ask or the people that I invite on and the way that I express my thoughts around that at the opening. You know, I do a two to three minute sort of little essay thing at the beginning, which just gives me the ability to think about what did I take away from that and how does that apply more broadly to the things that I'm seeing and learning and experiencing in my work. So I think it is that. It is the importance 
to support people in finding their voice, helping them to figure out what it is, and then giving them the confidence to actually get out there and use it for good. Thanks for joining us. And everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes. We're talking about the questions and issues that matter to you. So DM us on social or get in touch with Harriet at commsovercoffee.com or myself, Rebecca, at threadandfable.com. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review, subscribe so others can find us and have five minutes with us. Find us on Twitter at RebeccaRobert7 or at Harriet Smalzy. Season two of Have You Got Five Minutes is brought to you in partnership with Nextdoor, the neighbourhood app that's used by one in seven households in the UK. This past 18 months, we've all needed to connect a little closer with the communities around us and Nextdoor are working to create a kinder place for people to have a neighbourhood that they can rely on. Tap into your neighbourhood at nextdoor.co.uk or download the app from your app store.